This is Digital Pathology Today. Now here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Is your lab ready for a disaster? We're talking with Dr. Elizabeth Nyans, who has over 15 years experience in translational drug development and has held various staff pathology positions in contract research organizations, pharmaceutical industry, as well as research institutes worldwide. She supports academia, biotech, and pharmaceuticals with a variety of non-clinical services in her consulting practice. She is active on social media, keeps a blog, and has been a regular on podcasts, including the first season of Digital Pathology Today. We welcome back Dr. Elizabeth Nyans. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. We're talking about preparing your disaster plan in digital pathology. We're going to be talking about data integrity, what it is, information and data security, the types of threats we should consider, cloud computing, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how to prepare for the unexpected, such as climate disasters, pandemics, and other situations where stakeholders are suddenly shifted from the office environment to working from home. Today's podcast is sponsored by Motic Digital Pathology, creating the systems that move pathology forward. Dr. Elizabeth Nyans, welcome to the podcast, or I should say, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me a second time on this second season. I'm really uh, pleased to be here with you all. Yeah, this is very exciting. You're the, you're the only guest that we've had back twice. So I think our listeners are very excited to hear what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about something um, kind of building on what we talked about before, but hopefully something that's on people's minds and is very pertinent and usable as we enter this new era of digital pathology. We're going to talk about uh, privacy, data integrity, and information security. Why do you think this is so important? Why do we need to be aware of this? I think the first phase we went through all together was doing digital pathology during the first pandemic we had to, to go through. And everything went quite well. Everybody was very happy with, or we are still happy with digital pathology applications the further we go through this new field, of course, the new, more questions arise concerning integrity and security because nobody wants that data are leaking. We are dealing with medical records and maybe not, every, not everybody is aware of it, but compared to financial data, medical records are much more prone to security breaches and this is something I would like to cover together with you with digital pathology today. I think we were kind of thrown into the deep end, so to speak, or rushed into digital pathology, which is great. We kind of got a shot in the arm with the pandemic, but I think it accelerated the use of digital pathology, not only in drug discovery, but in clinical practice, right? Kind of by necessity. That's an interesting point that, because I think kind of by its nature, healthcare data you know, on the one hand, we are aware of the need for privacy, but on the other hand, it has special challenges, you know, for many reasons. One is that the data is constantly being shipped back and forth. There's many people that are interested, many stakeholders, right? A patient who goes, you know, under the care of a physician, there's often many, many, many physicians involved in that patient care, and they all want access to the records. And then in terms of developing drugs and drug discovery, you know, I think you're collaborating with multiple institutions, you know, the data is going back and forth. So there's uh, se several unique challenges. Absolutely. 
and maybe patients are not aware of it or when the day that or the moment that they are or they will be aware of it it's when when there will be a breach and then the question is could we have done something to prevent this and i think this is the right time to to put all the assets on our side in order to have a very secure cloud i'm using already the topic cloud environment for security and confidentiality reasons so uh, i think we need to protect not only the medical record we need to protect the patients you have kind of a unique perspective. I mean, not only your involvement with digital pathology, but in terms of quality assurance. So tell us about the Society of Quality Assurance Professionals, what you do there and what the mission is and you know how you came to take an interest in this area. As a pathologist, I'm working in a good laboratory practices environment. That means the GLP environment, which is supervised and inspected by the FDA. FDA is a very important stakeholder because they can put on hold any clinical trial, but they also can invalidate any preclinical study. The people who are protecting us are to assure that we are doing our job. These are the quality assurance people trained, especially in GLP environments, the society covering these people and promoting their expertise and promoting also the continued education for uh, experts is called the Quality Assurance Professional Society in the US. It's a very huge global society accepting members from all over the world. It's an international society. And I find uh, a real family there, a really group of friends and really top experts who were willing to accept myself as a pathologist because normally they only deal with quality assurance experts. And they really accepted me as a scientific person and they embraced my willingness to learn more about GLP environments. For sure, I know what is GLP and I know where to sign when I need to sign a report, but it's much more than a signature and a date on a paper. So the Quality Assurance Professional Society, they have a kind of mentorship. And a couple of years ago, just at the same time that I was digging into digital pathology, I acquired or applied for a mentor mentorship and they matched me. There was a really good match. They matched me with a very knowledgeable person from one of my previous CROs in Canada. So we had already a very good relationship and she was my mentor for more than one year. And so I had the opportunity, finally, I had the opportunity to ask so many questions that I had no time or it was not the purpose to ask when I was doing the reading of the slides. It is nice to work with like-minded people and family. And I think quality assurance, I think, is a, is a concept that we're very familiar with. But it is interesting that there are, you know, sometimes it's it, we forget that there are outside bodies and groups that are devoted to things like this. So it's nice to kind of branch out of our little bubble or small, <laughs> small world. So I think, and I think that's wonderful that you can interact with that society and bring your learnings back to us. So we're talking about quality assurance and privacy and so on, but I think there's some very specific concepts that have very specific meanings. So first of all, what are, what are we talking about with data integrity? What exactly does that mean? 
very good question. We need to start with the basics and we need to find some definitions first in order to build on this finally to go for security breaches. So the first concept, the global concept is data integrity, as you mentioned. It refers to a completeness and a consistency and an accuracy of data. There are two types of data integrity. We all know that we have an electronic image on a digital slide, and we also know that there is a pathology report which can be paper-based. So these kind of data, these are data, we are calling this statistic data. Secondly, you have a second type, it's the dynamic data. The dynamic data integrity means that, as you mentioned in the beginning of this uh, podcast, that it's a record format, which allows us interactions, interactions between a user, interactions between users in plural, and the record or the content may change in function of the user uh, interactions. So statistics data and dynamic data. Data integrity should be achieved at various levels. So as we said already, we need to have accurate data, but the data, they need to be also consistent, original and complete. Finally, if they are not legible, we don't have any data. So the data, they need to be legible and available. Consistent, accurate, and complete, and legible. I think it's fascinating, the new definitions, the way we think about this is evolving. Because before digital pathology, images were images, right? They were pictures. <laughs> and, and now they are somehow miraculously converted into data. That's a huge step forward, or a huge change in the way we're doing things. So once they become data, and then once they're incorporated into studies, there needs to be data integrity. But then what do you mean by legible? I think I know what you're <laughs> I think I know what you're suggesting, right? We know what illegible handwriting is. To me, that means it needs to be in a form that we can use. Somehow I have a biopsy and then that's converted into pixels and data. It's usable or someone else can come in and, and read it, so to speak. Yes, and it's also meaning that we have different formats. We have open source uh, software. We have also other applications which are less open. So the data that we are collecting should be at least accessible to all kind of users, especially in drug development, because we need to comply with the CFR Part 11, which means that each data is recorded in an electronic record. It's called electronic signatures. When we put a signature, it needs to be identified and also dated. So this is the mean of legitable. We need to be able to access it, and it needs to be accessible for everyone who is involved in the project. And then you mentioned open source. And then also, I think there's this concept of interoperability. But how does that translate into these guidelines for data integrity? Are we going to somehow arrive at a standard file format? Are people going to be penalized if they're using the wrong formats? What if data you know, from a study center is, as you would say, maybe illegible? How do we handle that? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. Let's say that there is no golden standard that it needs to be in this type of format, because as we all know, digital pathology is so dynamic at this moment. So formats are changing and we are not still harmonized through all organizations and institutions. However, uh, and now I'm discussing the drug discovery world, the data that are coming from a computerized system. This can be a scanner like, you know, a slide scanner, which is putting pixels on a file. But these computerized systems, they should be validated. So that means a validation of a system. It should be a controlled system and people accessing or the personnel who has access to it should have also a kind of authorized access. Not everyone can have access to change the file. It doesn't mean that we cannot do it. Everybody can change and we can have a lot of different formats, even for the same picture, as long as it's coming from a computerized system, which is validated. Another important concept related to electronic records is in GLP is what we are calling the audit trail. Audit trail is a kind of a control if you change something in the file, it's okay to change it. But as we mentioned, you need to document it. And once you're not in a paper-based environment anymore, you will need to document this by a kind of uh, track into your computer system. So this is what we call the audit trail. So each time that from a certain point, certain time point, each time that you may change some data, validated data, the computerized systems will track the date, the name, and also the reason why something has been changed in the system, just to protect all data against, you know, fraud. So that kind of takes a dark turn, maybe. So, I mean, I think one aspect is we want to be meticulous. We don't want to be sloppy in terms of data integrity. But then the dark side is maybe, you know, there could be, you know, let's not kid ourselves. There could be fraud. There's a lot at stake here. I think it opens up whole new possibilities, you know, to fudging results and <laughs> and committing fraud. You know, I maybe glibly referred to people getting in trouble for this sort of thing. And I think it's kind of hard, hard to resist maybe the drama involved in, in things like that of people getting in trouble, but it's a real thing. The FDA monitors this. They've issued warnings. In the past couple of years, they've issued, you know, several warnings. What does this actually mean? When a warning is issued, what have they violated? And what are the ramifications of the FDA issuing a, a warning about data integrity? Maybe one remark about the bad intentions or the fraud. Sometimes fraud or bad intention, it's not an intention which were coming from people who were really willing to do this in a kind of way which was not acceptable. Sometimes it's just careless or somebody was tired or, you know, it's not always somebody who was unhappy. So, but anyway, the result remains the same. It's not the original integrity anymore. So uh, absolutely, in that case, the FDA is there to watch 
it's their job to watch, to inspect, and if something is not correct, they will issue warnings. Just to give you an example, the couple of past years between 2016 and 2019, the FDA issued uh, 39 warnings related to data integrity overall. And the prior years to this, only three of them were emitted, just to give you a sense of the numbers. So once the FDA issues a warning, it's a kind of ringing bell, not only in your institution, but everybody is aware of it. You know, these warning letters are public. They are issued on the website of the FDA. It's often in the format of a letter. And the person who is receiving, unfortunately, the warning letter has a couple of days, maximum a few weeks, to respond to this. Once a warning has been issued, often it's a precedent, a precedent for other companies to look into their workflows and policies because maybe it was just by coincidence that an FDA inspector picked it up and issued a warning, but maybe a lot of warnings were missed or because a lot of inspections were not done yet. So it's a kind of ringing bell, which is very efficient, I must say, through pharmaceutical industry, because it's a public warning. I think that level of oversight serves many purposes, not the least of which is to ensure the quality of the data. And it's certainly not trivial. I mean, once we go through the trouble of collecting data, that means it is useful for, for some purpose. I think the integrity is essential. Absolutely. And I don't know if you know that famous quote, at least you can find it everywhere, data, they are not taken for museum purposes, right? When you take, yeah. <laughs> when you, when you, when you look for data, when you write them down, it's because it's the basis, basis to do something with. It's if you do nothing with it, then there is no use in collecting anything. So the ultimate purpose of integrity of data, it's because you're going to do something. It's a kind of action. And the step between the collection of the data and the action, this is what we call the prediction of the data. So what? So that's integrity. So what do we mean? Or I mean, I think we know what we mean when we talk about security and confidentiality. But uh, you know, how do we how do we go about doing that? Yeah, these are two very very important concepts: security and confidentiality. And we use them on a daily basis, right? Everybody knows what is. But maybe it's it's good to take a few moments or a few minutes to discuss what mean what what does it mean for us as pathologists. So the definition of a confidentiality is, you know, it's a state of keeping uh, data or being kept secret or private, right? Uh, security is uh, a little bit different. It refers to the process that is built into your uh, strategy or into your workflow that will protect the information and you will avoid unauthorized accesses to your system by users who are not qualified. Confidentiality, I love to give an example because we don't need to go into depth, but it's very easy to understand what is confidentiality. We all went to our exams and tests to pass. When I went to university, I had to sit in a big room and uh, even without the pandemic, we had to keep social distancing just because we couldn't watch on the paper from my neighbor. Nowadays, it's different because we are not 
dealing with paper-based data anymore, but we are sharing information through the Wi-Fi. So confidentiality, a breach into confidentiality, it's maybe through the Wi-Fi. And people, they can do this. Maybe I shouldn't tell this too, too often, but people can go on the Wi-Fi from somebody else if it's not well protected, of course. And this is called the Wi-Fi sniffing. Uh, security, is, uh, as we said, it's a little bit different and there are different types of security. You have the physical security because, you know, you have a physical threat, kind of, you know, a power outlet uh, which is breaking down or a, a natural disaster which is hitting uh, the, the firm. But there is also a kind of security which we call the logical security because if we remember, this is something maybe a little bit more technical in an environment like a digital pathology environment. If you want to validate it for regulators, you will go first from a testing environment into a production environment. So the distinction, uh, distinction between the testing environment and the production environment, that's what we call the logical security. There it needs to be very well well secured to give you an example by encrypting the data most of us kind of have this notion that security is now what once used to be physical big part of it is now an IT function certainly we can't discount the physical aspects of it what's involved with the logical security you know how robust does it need to be you know what's the regulatory uh, requirements around that that's a very uh, well-defined IT question. So I will try to answer it as best as I can from my pathologist experience. First of all, the data, we should be able to say that we have encryption of data. You see it a lot now on applications, on cloud servers, that when you're sharing data, they are going through a secure channel. It's called the encryption. It's not only on the level of an IT uh, people, Using data, they should get specific trainings, or at least they should receive the basics, what it means, a security awareness training. Just to give you another example, a couple of days ago, I received such a training by my bank branch. I'm really thankful they reached out to me because, you know, I thought I would know everything, but I did the effort to go into that training. But finally, I discovered a lot of protections that I can implement on a daily basis without going into much detail from an IT perspective. So I think the first thing is to make people aware, train people about security, and then also at a more professional or a more IT technical level to go for an encryption of the data. Similar to integrity, there's different aspects uh, to security. And, and in particular, there's different aspects to information security. And you talked about disaster plan recovery. So, you know, not all, not all threats to security are, you know, like malicious from intruders or hackers, um, but we're talking about natural disasters maybe or 
which requires a disaster plan recovery. So maybe let's let's talk about that. I mean, in California, we think about earthquakes, right? The big question is, well, what happens if your uh, lab gets hit by an earthquake, you know, and you have all these servers there? That's one aspect of it. Maybe talk about that. What is, what is involved in a uh, disaster plan recovery and what kind of natural disasters are we talking about that could be a risk to security? The disaster recovery plan is mandatory. Everybody should have it in place. As you mentioned, it's when it's happening, you do not have any time to figure it out. It needs to be ready. You need to know how you will manage when the worst will happen, unfortunately. So the, the definition is the process for planning, engaging appropriate resources to restore your normal business function in the event of a disaster. It's not an easy one because this is really something which came up the last couple of years. So you need to ask yourself or the company, the firm, the hospital, the institution needs to ask himself a few questions before going into the action. First of all, it's a basic one, but how should I recognize that disaster is happening or it happened already? So maybe it's a kind of question that seems ridiculous, but not all disasters needs to be, you know, the worst of everything. But you need to recognize your disaster and you need to recognize this on, in a timely manner. You need to know now it's a, we are going to activate the disaster plan. Once you know this, you also need to know when it's over. Um, I'm just in the middle of the storm or it's finished. So from there, you can ask yourself, it's all about IT because this is about data integrity, security, confidentiality, as we discussed. So the, the question is, did my IT infrastructure, did we have the adequate security tools when everyone and everything was gone? Following the, the storm, how will I reaccess my data? How will I reaccess my data during the recovery plan? That's why we call it a disaster recovery plan. Should I have or which kind of policy should I have in place to be prepared? So what kind of disasters are we talking about that maybe we might not see coming? We know about earthquakes. <laughs> I mean, you don't see it coming, but when you're in the middle of it, you know something's happening. So what exactly are we talking about? Like something that we don't know. Yes, yes, yes. It's just like in medicine, just like in pathology, a threat or an injury, it can come from outside or it can come from inside, right? So let's start from the external threats. That's the most evident one we have in mind. So we discuss the environmental threats. We can have a disruption of full disruption of power supply uh, due to an earthquake or a, a, a storm or a very bad storm. So, but the external threat, it shouldn't be always environmental. Uh, bad intentions, unfortunately, they often come from people outside the company. And when it happens, it can disturb major workflows within your firm. Having said the external threats, it can come also from inside. And in my opinion, when it's coming from inside, it's for sure it's more frustrating. Because if it comes from inside, we should think we could have prevented it 
anyhow. As we discussed briefly, employees, they can be careless, or let's say that's in my opinion, the less worst case scenario. Everybody can be tired one day and it can happen. We are only humans. But sometimes they may be unhappy. That happens also. So if you Google a little bit, almost each company has faced, let's say, hacking issues with no or minor or larger consequences. So the threats, they come from external or they come from inside. I know that can be particularly maddening when the, when the threat comes from inside. With the world becoming more highly connected and more things living in the cloud, so to speak, our data and particularly in digital pathology, I think we're seeing this. And one of the missions of digital pathology is to be able to reach shareholders throughout the world, across the globe. So what's happening on, on a global health level in terms of information security and data integrity? Very interesting. Therefore, we need to go into the numbers and the statistics. And I did a little bit research for uh, 2019. Uh, overall companies uh, during the year of 2019, they were five, they were investing four times more budget directed to cybersecurity than anything else. I think that's important to realize. It's all about medical records, as we discussed in the beginning. They are really more prone to leeches or to breaches. And people are, are bad people, bad intentions, are focused on medical records because we may not realize there is a really wealth of information that it contains. And healthcare, it has the highest mean time to contain breaches. In the meantime, it's 100 days that it can happen. Research projects take time. The care of patients drags out over time versus, say, a breach in the financial world where someone you know, comes in and steals your money and it's gone. So I mean, what, what do we mean by time of the breach or the time to contain a breach? I think you just need to go into a clinical trial. Clinical trials are highly, I would say, uh, expensive projects. A lot of research has been done already. The preclinical budget is small compared to a clinical trial. And patients, they will uh, give or they will provide you the data that other people will interpret. And they will contain other contents such as, say, for, for vaccine development or anti-cancer therapeutics. So these data are very valuable for people. When you are developing a drug just for cancer or a vaccine or for viruses, you may not be the only one on earth developing that kind of drug. So competition is out there. So data can be stolen. And once data are in hands of other people, it can be sold to other institutions or other parties who are looking into the same objective as you have. Much more activity is happening in the cloud now, which comes with hopefully huge benefits and gains. We're able to do things that we couldn't have done before by making our data portable and accessible to more people. So maybe first start off, what are the, what are the benefits that we can see uh, with more and more data being stored in the cloud? We can't skip the cloud anymore nowadays. So uh, we all know it should be at least a secure space. It should be a secure, but also an updated space where we can keep the medical records and files in a secure environment. Each day, users, they are becoming more aware of security risks 
especially because we are on social media, we see it from others, it can happen a breach and it's helping all of us over the world to create awareness for everyday users. The cloud is still a very difficult environment to fully understand as a pathologist. We are trained in recognition of diseases, so we're not IT people. So we still have a lot of confusion. How should we use the cloud? How, what are the best practices? So there is no real answer on this. There are guidelines and there are best practices, but they may vary from site to site and also from application to applications. Uh, companies, they are trying to implement also hardware-based security policies to the cloud. Overall achieving, it's about achieving security and compliance of the cloud. So you need to be modern, agile, autonomous, and it will foster a culture of security ownership across a global organization. Yeah, you said we're pathologists, not IT experts. That sounds like a line from Star Trek. I think that guy, the guy used to always say something like that. I'm a doctor, not a, <laughs> not a, not a fill in the blank. But I think that's a good point. I think increasingly, you know, what we do is, I mean, obviously we are the experts in uh, diagnosing disease and microscopy and and so forth. But I think just this knowledge of of IT is becoming critical, almost kind of integral to what we do. Well, uh, Doctor. Elizabeth Nyans, thank you so much for being with us again. Before we wrap up, maybe thoughts about what you see as as the challenges we're going to face in this area in the near term as well as the long term. Harmonization would be my first answer to this question. We all have the best intentions. We are really well-trained people. We know what to do. We are able to understand our stakeholders. However, we are working in a really, in, we are working in an international environment. Everybody has his own practices. Some guidelines are more prone to error. Some of them, you know, they are more built on the type of workflow we are working in. In my opinion, harmonization will not be the main issue in order to succeed in this kind of cloud environment. But the more we could harmonize, the more we could discuss these security issues, the better it would be for our global health, in my opinion. Enhancing our global health, these considerations are going to go a long way. Well, our guest has been Dr. Elizabeth Nyans. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.